0: hello and welcome to the inaugural edition of the mls bench podcast i'm joey i'm going to be the conductor of this train that will hopefully develop and grow into a podcast that finds its place in this great online soccer sphere that is developed in the u.s for now we're going to try to make mls a bit more approachable to everyone in the soccer world and my goal is to grow this thing as we go Later on in the pod, we're going to have Nate, who you're going to see popping up pretty often when the timbers get discussed, and we're going to have our first real interview with Chris Bills, a beat writer on Austin FC, for his website The Striker Texas. Before that, we're going to break down all the games of an exciting opening weekend in MLS. I obviously can't grow this pod by myself, so I'm going to do that annoying thing of asking you to subscribe, rate, review, download, and recommend this podcast, because that's really the only way to develop a grassroots podcast such as this one. So without further ado, let's get started! So we're going to dive into the game recaps, Um, and I think there's no better place to start than with my team, the Philadelphia Union taking on Minnesota United in what was the first game of the season by kickoff time. Uh, It was a 1 p.m. kickoff in Chester, and there have been a lot of things said about the Union in the offseason that I do agree with. I do think that, I'll say we because I'm a massive Union supporter, that we are a team that can go a long way. Uh, We proved it last year in both the CONCACAF Champions League making it to the semifinals and the MLS Cup playoffs where we made it to the semifinals as well. Losing in a home conference final to NYCFC, that still stings. Um, But I, I think that the predictions have been just about right. I don't think we're gonna finish first realistically. I would love that to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I think we're going to finish second or third. I think that's a good spot to aim for, especially with the talent that we have. The union aren't known for going out and spending big, and it didn't really happen again this offseason, but I will say this. If you've been following MLS, you probably know by now that the union have signed a designated player, which is uh, essentially a player that can make money over the cap limit. Um, you only get three of those in the MLS, but the union have signed a striker from denmark named Mikkel ora who was the golden boot winner in the danish league um just last year and i think he can improve the union's chances or at least raise the floor because last year there were some games where the union just straight up could not finish and the strikers for the union i really don't hate i sergio santos cory burke last year Casper Shabilko who's now been traded the Chicago Fire all really good players all very good in build up very good intensity level very good at pressing but there were games where it just fell apart in front of net for the union that can't happen if you want to win any competition um and especially in single game uh, scenarios like the playoffs and like the final uh in MLS uh, playoffs um You can't afford a single bad finishing game, and I think having a proven goal scorer will help the Union immensely to be able to rely on the fact that this guy will be able to get goals in a way that previous strikers have not been able to. That being said, he only got into the U.S. on Friday because of, or at least joined the Union on Friday because of uh, immigration issues, I think, which has happened to quite a few players and teams around the league, which I think that's... It's definitely above my pay grade. I have no idea um, what what that reason would be, but I would love to discuss that in a future pod, but now's not the time. But I, I do know that um, he had issues uh, getting into the country, and so those have been ironed out, ironed out, thankfully. He just trained today for the first time, but yeah, he did not play uh, in the game versus Minnesota, and i don't think it would have mass- massively helped the union had he been in the union didn't create a lot this was a pretty dead game overall um at the beginning of the union were a little sloppy uh especially in possession which happened last year a couple times just bad touches at times which i, I it can just be attributed i think especially at the beginning of the season to just a little bit of rust the union didn't play in Concacaf champions league they haven't played in any um you know massive preseason games uh only three preseason games uh, against MLS competition. So really not um, any kind of, you know, uh, crazy uh, amount of, I guess you would call it competition level to get touches against to really um, get fit before the season. Um, And so they looked a little sloppy at the beginning. Uh, Minnesota probably had the better possession um, in the first half an hour. I felt like the way uh, that they were... Uh, progressing the ball up the pitch, dangerous on the counter, um and I'll touch on it in just a bit, but the front it's really a front four in Minnesota. Um, which is a positive and a negative, and, and I said I'll get to that in just a minute. But that front four, um, and particularly the three kind of attacking mids slash wingers that sit behind the striker, uh Fragapane, uh Emmanuel Reynoso, and Robin Lud, um were quite quite good in this game i felt especially in uh, in that first 30 minutes of taking every advantage that they had on the counter and turning it into something um the way that they were able to play in possession um in the limited possession that they did have because i i do think that the union had more possession in that first 30 minutes but they really weren't able to get anything more than corners out of it they they really didn't threaten in in the box but in the possession that minnesota did have they were extremely efficient at creating pretty good looks getting into the uh 18 of the union and as a union fan they were making me scared uh through the first half an hour which is all you want out of a team that you know is not going to get a ton of possession in the game um and i guess i'll kind of hit on why that is so up top um last year it was actually Adrian Huneau who was their big DP signing their kind of their was supposed to be their centerpiece and um, the goal scoring threat and he scored some goals last year but it wasn't I don't think what Minnesota had completely wanted so they brought in um, I think they had him on their roster already but I think for some reason he wasn't really fit or something um, Luis Amaria who did start this game um, and th- those were the reports out of camp in preseason that he was going to be the starter over who know who did come in and actually uh, had a very dangerous shot in the 90th minute that nearly uh, one Minnesota the game but the way Minnesota plays essentially is they play uh, a front four I'd say and then a middle two and a back four but the middle two is truly a middle two and it has to be that way if you're gonna put four really solid attacking pieces on the field like they do. But if you're playing a midfield diamond like the Union were essentially playing in this game, that uh, the four four two diamond, which had basically been a staple last uh, last season, a, a few uh, games, um, uh, Jim Curtin played the four three two one, kind of like the Christmas tree, with two attacking mids and kind of like three central holding midfielders. But for the most part, it's been a four-four-two diamond for the Union for quite a bit now, um, and so when you got four midfielders against two midfielders, naturally the four midfielders are going to win, and they did. The Union dominated possession. Um, I and I love Hassani Dotson, who's one of the um, Minnesota's two uh, holding midfielders. I think he's extremely good. He is kind of. He's not in the conversation for a national team call-up, at least in some of the January windows, I don't think. But he's kind of there where I think I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a call-up sometime in the future because of his versatility. I think he's extremely good at um, that 6-8 kind of hybrid. Um, And Minnesota, quite frankly, need him to be that good this season because Ozzie Alonso is gone. Because Will Trapp, I don't think, started this game and I know um, can be potentially an issue sometimes. Um, defensively, I believe that's what uh, those who have watched him for longer than I have um, have said about his game. Um, so having Dotson in there is a big, uh, a very key factor for Minnesota. Um, but quite frankly, if he's doing it by himself and with the help... Uh, Kervin Ariaga, who was his partner kind of in that sixth role in this game against four Union midfielders who are very disciplined, who know their positions, and who had all of last season to work together, it's going to be tough. And after that first 30 minutes where Minnesota gets the goal, gets up 1-0, it was basically all Union. Um No possession, really, for Minnesota, nothing that dangerous to speak of, um... Minnesota was completely dependent on their counterattack, which was better in the first 30. I think the union made some adjustments, um, and it basically uh, didn't threaten them for the rest of the uh, game, besides that 90th minute who-know chance that produced uh, one of the Save of the Week candidates. I know um, that was flashing up on social media quite a bit. Uh, Andre Blake had a very nice save um, on oncoming who know that would have potentially won Minnesota the game and yeah it was a good save but it was uh, an excellent pass from I believe it was Fragapane um besides that no real chances to speak up for Minnesota the union didn't get a ton of chances um again a lot of corners uh and a lot of crosses because just the uh, the fullbacks for the Union like getting up in the, the space that's often created due to the fact that the Union's midfielders can occupy the defensive midfielders of Minnesota, at least in this game, which pr- it was just produced so much space for the um, fullbacks to get up into Wagner and Baizo. I didn't think the crosses were that dangerous, which was potentially a problem, but. They got in dangerous areas, um, Philadelphia, and hopefully, at least as Union fan, the hope is with Ura coming back, or coming into the lineup, and hopefully Carranza, who is an, another new striker signing, this one uh, this one was from in the league, um, uh, him coming from Inter Miami, Carranza, with the hope is if those two really find form and play together well, that Not only will the Union be able to produce a few more chances than they did in this game, they will be able to start finding goals at a rate that they really haven't for a couple seasons now, and hopefully that is the difference for the Union from last season, which was like, it's nice, but we're winning 1-0, we're winning 2-1, we're not really finding a ton of goals, a ton of chances to speak of, Um, maybe dominant possession, but nothing really to speak of in terms of attacking output versus that uh those that possession and those dangerous areas are finally converting into goals and if that happens then that's going to be a problem for the rest of the league um as for Minnesota I think they're gonna be fine um I don't think I'm not gonna be too high or too low on them I think last year they were fifth uh in the uh, Western Conference I um, lost in the first round of the playoffs to the Timbers. I think that's about where I see them this year. I don't think they're going to get a lot better than that because they haven't added that many pieces. I also don't think they're going to get a lot worse than that because they really haven't lost that many pieces. Um they got a good goalkeeper. Uh they've got a pretty solid defense. Um and this one was out uh w- was without uh Nier, who was a very good right back for them last year. Um And I think just, or I think Mennier might have been a left back. Uh, But I think generally uh, Minnesota can offer problems in attack. I think that midfield problem is just going to be an issue because you're putting four players who just love to attack and really can't do anything else. And you have four defenders and you're basically sandwiching two guys on an island in between it's going to be really tough um, for them to not lose possession battles in most of their games. But I think the hope has to be for Adrian Heath and his team that they're able to just get enough goals from that front four that it kind of offsets whatever could come out of that lack of possession. But I I thought overall it was a pretty boring game, but I think it produced a lot of – it was a pretty big narrative game, I think, in that – this is going to kind of be how Minnesota is going to play this year. And I think for the Union, this is kind of what it was last year. And the big question mark is, again, with Urra coming in, with hopefully Carranza getting his legs under him in Philly, um, what can that be? It's still a question mark. That will be the difference between a third or fourth place finish for the Union and potentially contending for MLS Cup. So... I thought that that was a fine game, um, nothing really special to start off the season, but 1-1 between Philadelphia and Minnesota United, and both those teams will hopefully move on to bigger and better things um, next week and moving forward. The next thing I want to address is Charlotte versus D.C. Um, if you know anything about MLS, you have probably seen the Charlotte coach Miguel Angel Ramirez's quotes. Um, in preseason, talking about his team potentially being screwed because of a lack of either signings or roster moves the way that he wanted, which he was not alone. By the way, that was some of the strongest language that we heard. But he was most certainly not alone in criticizing the front office. Um, in public pressers uh, that happened between um, uh, Almeida the. Uh, Earthquakes coach and Gerhard Struber, the Red Bulls coach, who actually they, those teams played each other this week, and I'll get into that in a just a mi- uh, just a minute. But between Charlotte and DC, I expected DC to win. I picked Charlotte to finish last in the uh, Eastern Conference standings. I think that. The preseason results, particularly the first game where they lost one nil to USL side uh, Charleston Battery, was particularly concerning. And I say this as a team, as a or as a person who really wants to see Charlotte succeed. I love expansion teams. I think that they can offer a lot. I think putting a team in Charlotte who clearly has a big soccer passion is a good idea for the league. I just wish that. Um, I, I thought it was going to go a lot worse. They lost 3-0, and I can sit here and say that Charlotte are most definitely not screwed. They played so much better than 3-0. I thought it easily could have been a tie. Um, they had a goal chalked off that they had actually opened the scoring, but uh, that got wiped out by VAR offsides. Um, there are 10. Uh, T.T. Ortiz was extremely good. I picked him out. Um... I thought he was very bright. They A ton of dangerous crosses for Charlotte that really threatened D.C.'s back line. Um, for D.C., I love Andy Nahar, a Honduras national team player, and kind of like a right center back for them, but he's definitely more of a right back than a center back. I I love his game. He's kind of everywhere. He's in people's faces. He's pushing the ball up the field, um, even from that right center back position, which I love. Um, And it's kind of a lot of fun to watch him play. I don't think that DC is a ton of fun to watch play, but I think that they can become it. I think losing Paul Areola and Kevin Paredes, um, to FC Dallas and Wolfsburg, respectively, is a pretty big hole to fill when those players were so dynamic, produced a lot of attacking chances, um, got some goals, got some assists. That's two pretty big holes to fill, and I'm not sure if I could definitively say that, yes, they filled it, but I think that DC is going to be fine. I think they're going to be fighting for a playoff spot. I don't think that they're most certainly in. Um, I, I I think in this game they got pretty lucky. A couple fortunate referee decisions. Their first goal I thought was certainly a foul in the build up um, that was looked up by VAR and they said no foul. Or it, sorry, it was a build up to a penalty which they could have called back for a foul. Um, it was being looked at by VAR, VAR said no foul, Um, the penalty was converted, and yeah, it kind of went from there, Um, Charlotte fans are definitely not happy with referee Victor Rivas right now, they made that clear on social media, and uh, the fans uh, at the stadium certainly did during the game, they were very unlucky on the first two goals, I thought Charlotte, um, I thought they were clearly trying to keep the ball, which I was very impressed with, again, if you've I hadn't seen Charlotte because I believe most of their preseason games were for or streamed in the Charlotte area or behind closed doors. And I'm not in the Charlotte area, so I couldn't watch those games. So this was this was the first time that I actually got to see Charlotte play. And I thought they were more impressive than I could have imagined. With the quotes, uh, with the quote, we are screwed by their head coach in mind Um they could have had one or two goals in the first half. Like I said, they had the one chopped off. Um, Bill Hamid, very good for DC. Uh, exceptional, I'd say. Um, I know Jordan, uh, I think at Nat fan nine on Twitter pointed that out. Uh, they were, Bill Hamid was extremely good. Um, I also made a note that, uh, Hernan Lasada's beard, uh, the, the DC coach, very impressive beard. He's definitely gotten that thing, uh, worked on um yeah very impressive um but yeah uh it was a pretty boring game in the second half i'd say not a lot uh not, not much attacking to speak of just because of the fact that dc had gone up two 0 at the half charlotte had played so well in the first half i thought um definitely against expectations and charlotte was fine in the second half don't get me wrong but I feel like the two goals and Charlotte having scored DC probably the the first penalty goal should not have stood because of the foul and the buildup. So between those calls and the chances that Charlotte just wasn't able to get on the end of, I thought emotionally it took some of the thrill out of the game because Charlotte came out, came out firing on all cylinders, clearly amped up as they should be their first professional game. Um, But, yeah, definitely not screwed for Charlotte. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but I think some of these styles of play that that I saw from them, how they want to hit teams um, with pace on the wings, with quick progressive passes, with, I'd say, relatively good possession um, through the defensive and middle third. I thought it was fine. Um, DC, I'm not 100% convinced. I thought they got lucky in this game. And we're going to have to see how they fill those holes of uh, Paul Ariola. I know uh, Griffin Yo, a young kid from the academy, he looked good in this game. Um, and if he can truly fill in for Ariola, I will be impressed. Um, for Paredes, I feel like that's maybe more of a open situation. I'm not sure if they've definitively got that one figured out yet. But they do have Julian Gressel um, as a wingback, who is extremely good at creating chances, has shown that throughout his MLS career on multiple teams at this point. Um, And with Gressel, they should be able to still create some of those chances uh, with the width that they did with Paredes as well. um, But it's obviously a loss, right? You have a a young player who was only getting better, I think 18 years old now, at uh, Wolfsburg, which is – even though they're not doing so well in the Bundesliga this year, a German mainstay with other Americans like John Brooks at the club for the time being. Um, With that being said, I think that their attacking situation in this game wasn't terrible. I thought that when they got the ball, uh, Michael Estrada, who started over Ola Kamara, and I'll touch on that in just a second, was good. He scored... Um, the first goal uh, via penalty. He scored the second goal, which I thought again Charlotte was unlucky on, but it was a good second goal by Estrada, um, with Ole Kamara, who was tied with Tati Casianos for goals in the Golden Boot race last year. I thought he was going to start. I captained him on my fantasy team, which was a massive mistake, seeing as he did not start, and yet he did come in and score, which um, good for him, good for them, but. The rumors are that they're shopping him around the league, and this is a striker who's shown at multiple clubs that he can be dangerous, that he can score goals, and last year was another, um, just another indicator that he absolutely can score goals, 19, uh, and I think that if they're able to trade him for either a player or a good amount of cash, I feel like they can at least make an just one more move that might be able to shore them up and help them get to the point of. I don't know what's. I don't know if it's more sure that they're going to get a playoff spot because I don't think that they're a team that's comprised of enough great pieces that I can say, "Yeah, these X, Y, and Z is going to carry them over the line." But I don't think that um, a a good player right now will hurt them in their race to hopefully make the playoffs. Um, and even if that's at a low seed, I think that they can be dangerous enough to win games. I'm I, that I'm truly confused a little bit with DC because last year they almost made the playoffs, even with 19 goals from Ola Kamara, with Paredes, with uh, Areola playing well. And so it kind of it leaves me a little uncertain of where to say you need to fill this spot because they have good players at these positions. But I don't think that if, if it wasn't enough last year, losing Areola and Paredes, it's not going to be good enough this year. So they definitely need to hit a different gear because what I saw on Saturday was not enough for them uh, in the long run. But, you know, I digress. And hopefully uh, for their sake that they make the playoffs for Charlotte, I can't wait to see what the crowd's going to be like this weekend. Um over 70,000 is the report. They want to get 75,000, which would be an MLS attendance record for their first game. That will be an exciting game. That will be an electric game with the fans and yeah, that's going to be hopefully my spotlight uh, my spotlighted game of the week next week because that was or wh- what the fans can bring and what the fans did bring in DC, uh the traveling away contingent for Charlotte was extremely impressive. And if they can, if those fans can bring the passion of some of these um, newer expansion teams, like an Atlanta United, like an LAFC, it's going to be a lot of fun and it's going to be a party in Charlotte. Um, but yeah, that's basically all I have for that game. So I'll move to the battle of coaches that were outwardly mad at their front office um, Gerhard Schruber, Matias Almeida both, like I said, with quotes, basically saying that I wanted more and I didn't get enough. For Almeida, the writing's basically on the wall for him to leave um, after the season. That's kind of an open secret at this point with Struber. Not so much. He's had some success. He brought them to the playoffs last uh, season, even though they got knocked out by the Union in the first round. The roster that he's been able to have over the last couple years has been pretty good, and... Um, and these quotes were a little surprising. They did lose Sean Davis, who's a massive play who was a massive playmaker for them, extremely good in the midfield. Um, they lost Kyle Duncan uh, who a uh, right back to uh, the Belgian League and he's been doing well, I think over there. He was a great attacking uh, fullback in MLS. So definitely some key losses, not a ton of key additions, but the hope is that was that, Patrick Klamala, who was, I believe, a, an addition last year at Stryker, would hopefully be able to find his feet this year and really kick on. And I don't know if he completely showed that he would be able to kick on in the first game. I, I just I, I, didn't see a ton from him that was like, oh yeah, definitely uh, a player who's going to light the league on fire. But that being said, he did score. Um, and that's really what matters from a striker. You want the striker to get in goals however they can. And I thought he was fine. Um, that's really gonna, that's really the hope for them this year with not signing any massive pieces. Um, but I thought in this game, Red Bulls basically, uh, basically controlled the game. Um, the Quakes had basically no possession in the final third, uh, in the first half an hour. Aaron Long almost scored. Just do that in there. Uh, I think it's a conversation that needs a little bit um, more time than I want to spend on it right now. But I think he can be a contributor for the national team. I've gotten pushback on that in the past, but I think that his skill set at center back, what he can what he can provide on set pieces, he score he almost scored once or twice in this game. It wasn't just um, that one uh, almost goal. Uh, both off of corners. I think he provides a complete package at center back and I think he can contribute to the national team hopefully in the near future coming back from that uh, season ending injury uh, last year uh, pretty early in the season but before that he was MLS defender of the year like we're, we're not talking about some average defender right now we're talking about uh, a guy who was the best defender in MLS um, just two years ago but um, I thought he was very good uh, in central defense in his first game back in a while. Uh for San Jose, Abobasi, who was a Jeremy Abobasi um, from the Portland Timbers, uh, was traded to them, uh, I think it was the June of last year, Uh, didn't really pop off at the end of last season, but the Quakes were also not a good team last season, and I don't think they're going to be great this year. And I thought he was pretty involved at least in pressing and in the quick counterattacks that they had i didn't think he was awful i, I thought he was fine um jamira, jamira montero who was traded from the union um was the union's lone dp uh traded to um san jose this off season um he, he had wanted to leave philly for a little bit and the writing was kind of on the wall for that to happen um so I thought he and Abobacy were pretty uh pretty good together. They were pretty involved. Um Chofis, uh, who's kind of their other attacking piece, uh Javier Lopez. They seemed to work well together. They just didn't have enough of the ball, um enough uh in enough dangerous areas to make it happen. But I thought that they were good in the first thirty minutes. Chophis was dropping a little bit deeper. He's more of a winger for me, maybe a ten, but he was dropping deeper in a central midfield to help out, press a little bit, win the ball back, and start the few attacks that they did have. Um, I thought he was good, um, which will be p- positive news for a fan base uh, that might not get a lot of it, um, the Quakes fan base this year, because I don't think that the squad that they have is probably enough to get them close to the playoffs. With that being said, I that front three plus K Cowell, uh, youth national team player hopefully um senior national team player in the future at wing back um he's more naturally a winger but he was playing uh I think he was left wing back I might be wrong about that yeah he was left wing back I think for the vast majority of this game and I thought he looked good I'm not saying that Greg burhalter or you know U.S. soccer generally should perceive him as a wingback. He is not, but in the uh, time that he had there at the game, um, in this game at least, he didn't look terrible, and I knew that he uh, he was banging in some goals in preseason as well, so I was excited to see what he would do from that position, and I thought he was fine. Again, you're you're not going to get a ton of possession because you're just not that good of a team, but I felt that what he was able to bring, uh, even defensively, for a, a winger that might not naturally be so accustomed to defense, he was fine. I, I liked what he was able to do, and I think that's basically all I had on him. I wanted to touch on him a little more because he is a national team player, and I think that is important, and that's what I wanted to uh, do in this podcast, is touch on some of those national team players a little more. But yeah, I thought it was good. Um, Red Bulls had plenty of chances in the first 30 minutes inside the eighteen. Jackson Yule, I know, much maligned uh, USMNT player from basically not making the World Cup or or not making the Olympic qualifying World Cup, not making um, the Olympics um, and losing to Honduras in the Olympic qualifying semifinal was kind of people's last straw with him. But I thought he was fine. Um, He's transitioned from central defensive uh, midfielder to really a center back. I think he was kind of playing at the middle of a back three, which is interesting, and I don't think he's going to get back in the national team uh, picture playing that position. We have plenty of other center backs who are more natural at that position. I don't think he was terrible. I don't think he was standing out because he just didn't have a lot of opportunities to make challenges and stuff. But I thought he was fine, like especially at his new position against a good striker in Klamala. I thought he handled himself fairly well. The Quakes, I, I have this down as a note, the Quakes' defense inside their own box was iffy. They did not look inspire confidence whenever Red Bulls got in around that 18, they looked like they were going to produce some kind of a chance, which is not what you want to see out of a team. It's not wholly unexpected, but it's not what you want to see. Um, Marksonkowski, their keeper, JT Marcinkowski, was sharp. He saved one or two could have been goals in the first half. Um and that was really all I had for the Quakes like in especially in the first half. Like goalkeeper sharp, defense in the box was iffy at best and not producing a lot, but again, that front three I think can provide some teams with some problems and if they can shore up the defense, I can see them you know, busting out some results by grabbing a goal and sitting back and defending, and hopefully tightening up some of the gaps in midfield that really allowed Red Bulls every time they got the ball, every time they got the ball to um, possess easily up to within like 30 yards of the goal. Um, that's going to be a problem, um, especially against teams who might have a little bit more attacking versatility than uh, Red Bulls. Um, Red Bull scored first, uh, Trophy scored then, brilliant flick header, but after that, Red Bulls got to the Quakes' back line with ease, and we're just talking, it was a 1-1 game with about 15-20 minutes to go, but I don't know where the midfield was, but right off the kickoff, and then two or three times after that, Red Bulls were to the box, easy with numbers, um, and they finally did score off a mistake. Um, I... I have a note here that I want to touch on, maybe the best stadium alliteration name uh, in the business, PayPal Park. It sounds like a baseball stadium name, but it is one of the better stadium names in MLS. Like PayPal Park, I don't know if that's a new sponsor or what's going on there, but the Quakes have succeeded in naming their stadium, and so I will give them props for that. Might be the only thing I give them props for on this podcast for the most of the season. But hey, um, you gotta take the victories where you can. Um, I, I do have down here that uh, Montero was playing more as like a off the striker, kind of a winger, maybe central attacking midfielder in the first half. Was basically playing in the eight by the end. I don't know if that was by necessity or if that was a tactical change, but he was much deeper by the end of the game, which kind of, like, after that, uh, the trophies goal that tied it up, it was basically all Red Bulls. They got the goal, then they got, uh, basically an insurance on the last kick of the game. Um, and that's, yeah, that, that was basically it. It wasn't a super exciting game, kind of dreary, crowd wasn't that big. And yeah, I, I hope for the Quakes' that they can turn it around. I think for Red Bulls, it's stingy in defense, which they were all last season. Um, a really good defensive team. And they did score three goals, which didn't happen a ton last year. And for their sake, I hope that they can, uh, can continue that because that was, that's what was missing. They were truly one of the best defensive teams in the league with no real attacking output to show for it uh, last year which is why they only snuck in at the 7th seed. If they're able to fix some of those problems, I can see them being a 4th seed, a 5th seed, and causing teams a bunch of problems in the playoffs. Um, that's basically the ceiling, I think, for the Red Bulls, because in terms of like just talent all over the field, it's not like they're the most talented team, but the system, um, I think Struber has them playing extremely well, uh together which was something that i did see last year as well with aaron long coming back only bolsters that defense and yeah i think the red bulls deserve to really start to make a run equivalent to what they were able to do in 2018 that's kind of the goal and if they're able to get back to that then props uh props to them um a couple other quick games nothing really to speak of uh orlando versus montreal um Orlando basically controlled this game. Uh, Montreal had a couple key chances in the first half that they weren't really able to make the most of. Uh, Georgi Mihailovic, USMNT player, hopefully. I heard a rumor today that he might go to Leeds, which is not something for this podcast to discuss, because I do not know if that's the case. But if he does end up moving, I will talk about that, because that will be a massive move for him that I can only say would be deserved last year he had uh it was league leader in assists on a team that didn't even make the playoffs so just i i think georgie is really coming into his own in a way that um he was highly thought of around the national team uh, especially in 2019 that that gold cup year he was the talk of the town kind of fell out um of the conversation for like a year or two but He looked really good, and he's been really good for the past season, season and a half. Um, Kyoto 2, a Honduran national team player, extremely good at striker, remarkably dangerous, um, has kind of the complete package, is strong, he's quick, he's an elite finisher. Those two together are a scary combination, but that's really all that they have in attack, and if you're able to contain that the way that orlando did you'll be fine um kyoto was everywhere uh, especially early in the game but i'd say the game overall was pretty cagey right it didn't really allow for him to shine it was basically played between the 18s some uh possession in the attacking third but nothing super threatening montreal had a couple crosses early that i thought were good um that's basically it i think orlando uh orlando's danger basically came from crosses as well it was scoreless at the half. Um, and I thought Orlando was the better of the two teams at the half. The second half was a big uh, big change in the story, I'd say. Um, it was pretty end-to-end in the second half, which definitely ben- benefited Orlando because Montreal was attacking with two or three, basically leaving Georgie, Kyoto, and sometimes they would have a midfielder join with them in attack. Um, but that's a problem when you have got a pretty stout defense of Orlando that never really pushed up the field. So they were never really susceptible to getting beaten behind. And they basically got behind the ball and said, Georgie and Kyoto, like, let's make this a 2v4. Now you have to work around all four of us. Never really happened. And so without getting those numbers in attack, Montreal was... Even though the game was end-to-end, because uh, Montreal win the ball, play the uh, ball long in the space, but there was no real attacking threat in the 18 team provided by, by Montreal, because it was basically two or three guys on an island with no support from the midfield, no overlapping runs from the outside backs, nothing to really speak of. Meanwhile, Orlando was attacking with four and five. They got their first goal via kind of a cross that was, I think... I forgot if it was deflected or if it was a shot that was saved and then followed up on. Um, But yeah, I I thought um, Orlando was much better. And the way they attacked with Facundo Torres uh, just signed uh, Uruguayan. Um, I I know he's gotten uh, some time in the Uruguayan national team system in the past. I don't think he's had any meaningful minutes with the first team, um, but I know that he's highly regarded in Uruguay, Um, and so it was a massive addition for them in the offseason. I'm glad to see that he came out and played well, I thought. Uh, And Pato um, was supposed to be a goal-getter for them last season, really flamed out, did not work last season, but got the first goal in this game, and if he can start finishing the chances produced by some of those great attacking pieces like Torres... Um I was impressed by some of the uh Ruon I th- who delivered the uh the cross on the second or the first goal he delivered the cross on the first goal um basically a solo effort to get the ball um into the box he was very bright down the right flank I thought um and yet with him Torres some of the other attacking pieces uh really firing if Pato's able to get himself in good positions and bury the balls that didn't really it didn't really happen for him last year. If he's able to score those chances, watch out. Orlando could be a top four team in the East, no problem. Um, I thought they were extremely bright, um, and we got the full Romel uh, Kyoto experience. Uh, got himself red carded because he basically punched a guy um, in the 65th minute, and that was kind of the end of the game at that point. Um, yeah, uh, it it was pretty good attacking from. Over the course of 90 minutes from both teams, I was a little down on Montreal's attack because I don't think it's going to end up producing much, but from the ball, from the situations that they were able to get, I thought it was relatively good, uh, especially by Georgie. I thought he was very bright, um, and it was really a game of moments, and Orlando was able to find that final ball when Montreal was never able to do so, and that was the difference in the game. Uh, straight up, that was the difference. Um, So Orlando takes three points, Montreal, one of those uh, CONCACAF Champions League teams, you've probably seen it at this point, Uh, all four CONCACAF Champions League teams from the MLS that played in the first round, because remember, New England did not. It was a forfeit scenario. It was a really hairy scenario. I'm not going to get into that. Um, But all four teams that played in the first round lost and did not score a goal. Not a great... uh, Look for MLS when it comes to teams in the Concacaf Champions League, but I think why that is varies from team to team, and I think painting Concacaf Champions League teams in MLS with a broad brush ignores the fact that a lot of this, um, a lot of the scenarios are just different, Um, and so I'm not gonna necessarily say that they're all the same. Because I don't think that they are. I, some people have uh, been trying to paint with a broad brush. And I, I can understand why you would do that. Because it's borne out in past years too. But I just don't think that it's worth it in, in this, uh, at this point. But yeah. Um, good performance by Orlando. Georgie and Kyoto Bright. And we'll see where Montreal can go. I don't think that they're a playoff team. But it, I wouldn't be surprised if they can sneak into that uh, the top 7. Because I do think that with those attacking pieces... With a relatively good defense, I think Kamal Miller, especially at center back, very good um, Canadian national team starter. With him in there, I think a lot is possible with that defense. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them sneak, in, sneak into the playoffs. They were almost there last year, and they just didn't get in. So, yeah, I, I w- I'm i excited to see what Montreal can bring. And I think on any given day, they're liable to score one or two and you know have a solid enough defensive performance that they can get three points. But they didn't, and if Orlando is able to replicate this performance moving forward, they will be able to make the playoffs with ease. And yeah, I, I can't—I just can't wait for that. Um, I think one of the games that I've really been wanting to get to uh, is the Dallas-Toronto game. I've been thinking about this for days now. The way that Dallas was able to play, even though they tied, I was so impressed with Dallas. I was extremely impressed with that front three, two of them being U.S. national team players and Paul Areola and Jesus Ferreira. I thought both were very bright. Uh, Areola looked comfortable in his choice game with Dallas. Um, just looked a lot of fun. Was free. He Just the way he was moving, picking up the ball, making runs. The full Paul Areola experience was fun. Um, versus the Toronto defense that I thought Shaffelberg at uh, left back, uh, Marshall Ruddy, um, who's a big uh, prospect coming up for Canada and Toronto on the right side. Good in attack, um, good players, uh, and, and looking toward the future, I think can be really solid. But it's a back line with those two in it, with Carlos Salcedo in it, um, former Mex. I can, I think at this point I can say former Mexican national team player coming in from Liga MX. Um. It just didn't have a ton of uh, confidence, a ton of cohesion in really the first half, I'd say. And that led to quite a few um, Dallas chances. Uh, the first goal I thought was good by Dallas, good buildup. Um, Ferreira was doing his thing, dropping back in to the midfield helping up with buildup then getting back to that nine position to threaten defenses on crosses and balls into the box i thought he was extremely good i think that he should be the u.s number one at this point at striker that's going to be controversial but i think that he's shown with the national team and with dallas that he can be a top uh, top class player for us um as a national team and i thought he was excellent um Obreon, uh, Yader Obreon, who is their other winger, um, high-volume player, not going to score every chance that he gets, but is electric to watch. He's all over the place, um, and I thought that if he can kind of fill that role as electricity with Areola doing his thing, with Ferreira doing his thing, I think that those three can complement each other, and they were a ton of fun to watch against, albeit a a Toronto defense that hasn't played together that much. But they were still extremely fun to watch. And they with that goal, uh, Ferrer had one chucked off because of an offsides call. Uh, VAR, again, they were great in transition, I thought. A lot of pace. Um, Servanya in the midfield uh, was kind of the higher between him and Pomacle. Pomacle is, and Adam Bell from the Scuff podcast has said it. Uh, Matt Doyle has said it. I'll say it now. He can be a top, top, top player um, in the USMNT sphere if he stays healthy. Some injuries, long-term knee injuries have kept him from that. I think in this game, he showed that he can be um, good in the defensive aspect, can push the tempo just a little bit. I thought he was very good. I, don't th- I didn't think he was excellent i also didn't think he had a ton of chances to thrive necessarily because i thought the game wasn't necessarily played a lot through the midfield but he was still good um i think after the half toronto was the more dominant of the two sides they got the goal they had they they had really started to pick up Um, good possession, the quality possession that was finishing in the attacking third in a way that they weren't in the first half like every Toronto possession basically fizzled out, um, never really got to the attacking third in the first half Um, complete change in the second half I thought that they were much better but I do think that if they're able to really find a way to stabilize that defense and I I do think it's just a cohesion thing because you have really solid players in there and again, uh, Schaffelberg, Marshall Ruddy, very, very good going forward. And young players, I think they can just grow, and hopefully, it is exponential growth for their sake, and just become dominant fullbacks in the league, hopefully for a long time. Um, if they can continue to produce chances at the way, at the rate that they were in the second half, I think Toronto can make the playoffs uh, with Lorenzo and Sinha coming in the summer, which I just cannot wait. Um, I think that this team could be uh, really dangerous. Uh, even with Altidore gone, even you know, with some of the changes that have occurred in the offseason, I think that they can be good. Pasuelo, who has always been their chance creator, was very good in this game, I thought. Osorio, who got the goal, was fine. Bradley was fine um, in defensive midfield. And I, that's really all I have for this game. But I did want to touch on those national team players because – I was really excited to see what they would do, and I thought all three really on Dallas um, were quite good. Uh, and I just I, I'm going to watch that team a lot more this season just because I think they're a lot more fun um, with Ferreira really coming into his own and with Ariola seeming to just play with some freedom in that dynamic front three. It's really impressive to watch. Um, yeah, I'll go I'll quickly go through another boring game. Houston versus uh RSL in Houston. Uh Houston, actually the big news today is that Houston is signing um Hector Herrera who is Mexico's uh basically locked in starter, has captained the Mexican national team. Um I'd say that he's basically between him and Ochoa, they're basically the captains. Um Herrera basically playing at that 8 position uh most of the time. Uh, I I think with him coming to Houston, um, reportedly on a free transfer from Atletico Madrid, this can kind of provide what I saw in this game was missing. A lot of good Houston possession. I think they beat RSL in possession by a good bit. Um, But especially in the first half, nothing really going forward. A lot of good stuff just, just past the halfway line, good combinations, but not really ever finding that final ball not really being dangerous, especially um, not coming into the box, really. Out wide, they were fine, but nothing really dangerous in and around the 18. Nothing that really threatened RSL at all, which is disappointing because I thought they were better than we had saw them last season. uh, I believe that they were the bottom team in the West last season. Uh, So I thought this performance was probably a step up from where they were last season, and I hope for their sake that they can really really um start to make uh, big strides with uh new coach in nagamura with the new gm and Onstad. i think that they can start to be a team that is not gonna, it's not gonna make the playoffs but they can beat you on any given day especially with Ace Ace in there i can't wait to see what that's going to be like that being said this game was quite boring rsl was trying to live off the counter it never really happened I think there was less than a goal of expected goals combined in this game. I'm not surprised. The eye tests kind of bore that out. Um, and part part of that is the fact that RSL had um, Aaron Herrera, who's a top class right back. He was out due to a red card in the conference final, which carried over it for the first game of the season. They, um, he was a big part of their attack, especially uh, coming down the right flank. He's out, Everton-Louise, who was a midfielder, I think he was having, um, I, the coach just said like he he wasn't going to come, he wasn't going to start the game, so I'm assuming that he's having a non-soccer issue, and I hope that he's able to get that resolved, whatever it might be. He was out, so a, a solid starter in midfield was out for them. Um, the front three of RSL, I think, is solid, Crylock, Merrim, and Wood. They can produce a lot. Justin Miram is fast. Demir Crylock is a playmaker. Has proven that he can be one of the top, um, not just midfielders, one of the top players in MLS over the past couple seasons. Bobby Wood, I'm, I'm interested to see what he can do in really his first full season with RSL. Um, the fact that he started this game made me happy. I think if he's able to come back to some of the form that we saw. Um, when he was with the national team, like, four years ago, if he can replicate that even a little bit in the league, it'll be a lot of fun to see, because I think he's, he's got talent, I I really think he does, but, yeah, nothing in this game, and I'm just going to move on, because, trying to keep this thing short, but it's most certainly not going to be, uh, but I do my best. Uh, Columbus versus Vancouver, bit dominant performance by Columbus, um, especially in the first half, um, Etienne Jr., Derek Etienne Jr. for them, extremely good, uh, coming really from the left wing position, extremely, extremely explosive, uh, got, I think they're, I think it was either the first goal or the second goal, I forget, let me, uh, quick see about that, but, uh, they were eating up the game in midfield, Vancouver was sitting in, Columbus was basically walking the ball 35 yards, uh, to goal which I don't really get that strategy but whatever like if you want to lose be my guest um all Columbus in the first half Columbus was really good switching the ball the uh the second goal uh was Etienne's it basically came from a long switch of play from like uh, 35-40 yards out where they basically switched it from I'd say like the width of the 18 like from the sideline into the 18 on the right side for um, Columbus basically hit a a switch probably 30 yards across the field and 40 yards down the field to uh, Etienne who just came in um, tapped at home for the second goal just it was really 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 uh, quality stuff from Columbus it's not going to be able to be replicated that was a an amazing ball. That's not going to happen all the time. But it was, it kind of encapsulated what I saw in that first half, which was just a lot of quality in midfield from Columbus. And Vancouver was kind of all over the place. Good, like I said, good switches um through the midfield. uh I believe it was a red card for denial of a goal scoring opportunity in the first half, or at the beginning of the second half for uh, Vancouver, which basically ended the game at two nil. Um, one of the most polarizing players is not the most pol- polarizing player of, uh, the USMNT, uh, space. Jossie's artist did not start this game. Miguel Berry did up top, and I thought he was good. He scored the first goal. He looked bright, um, in and around the box. He made defenders nervous. But when Giassi came on, I thought he was fine too. Uh, Vancouver started to take back a bit of the game in the second half once they were down two 0 and I think at that point it was they never really threatened Columbus all that much. They had a couple chances, but not, nothing really crazy. But I, I thought that Zardes was fine. I know that there was that still shot going around on social media of him saying like, you can't score from here. He he thought that he could have taken. He had another touch and he didn't really, but. It ended up resulting in a goal anyways. So if you see that uh, screenshot uh, or that just kind of that still image going around uh, Twitter, do know that Columbus did score as a result of it. Um, it finished 4-0 to them. Uh, Sebastian Berhalter, uh the son of Greg Burhalter plays for Vancouver, came in and played well, I thought, in the second half. Um, he was dropping some dimes uh, from like a defensive midfield position, I'd say. He was good um coming back to really his home city where he grew up because of burr halter coaching uh with the crew for so long um that's really all i have uh dominant performance by columbus they should be much better this year last year they never really found their stride um our tour was out aiden morris was out all last year two key pieces for them in the midfield and hopefully they're able to start generating a little more attack um i thought that between uh, those uh, two coming back and Zellerian looking good in this game, too, who's really their playmaker from that attacking midfielder position, the, the, the ceiling is quite high for Columbus and their floor, most importantly, is much higher than it was last year. They should be a playoff team, and it will be a failure, in my opinion, if they aren't. I would expect Caleb Porter to be fired, their head coach, if they do not make the playoffs because with the... Lineup that they're able to boast now, with everybody fit and healthy again. Again, the ceiling is high. The floor is much higher than last uh, season. And for Vancouver, they snuck in at the, uh, I think they were the seventh seed. Nope, I think they were the sixth seed uh, in the playoffs last season. And yeah, if they're able to get to get back to that point, I'll be impressed. Um, Brian White, who's their star striker, did not start this game. Uh, I hope he's doing well. I think he had a slight knock. Um, I just don't think that they have a really great roster. Uh, Midfield seems like a weakness. Defense seems like a weakness for them. So I hope they're able to get that figured out. And then they lost Maxime Cropot, who is Canada's number two keeper. Uh, They lost him to LAFC. I think he had some family issues too. So I'm glad that he's gotten that worked out. But he saved them in games last season, and if they don't have him this season, yeah, I, I think that they're not going to be a playoff team. But I again, for their sake, I hope they prove me wrong. Um, but yeah, Columbus 4-Vancouver nil, in a pretty dominant performance by the crew, and it's good to see that stadium rocking um, with uh, a great uh, crowd attendance number in that game. Uh, they almost filled the stadium, I think, and if they're able to do that uh, moving forward... With the roster that they have, um, yeah, it it should be a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to move on to Galaxy and NYCFC right now. Uh, I didn't watch this game in its entirety. I saw the first, like, 50 minutes. But Galaxy looked good in the attacking third, good combinations. NYCFC, you can tell that they put a lot of money into their attack because it's just high quality. It just looks so much nicer than some other attacks. Tati Cassianos is a $20 million striker who's going to leave in the summer and is probably going to break the MLS record transfer fee that was set by Ricardo Pepe, I believe, um, in the offseason. Tati's so good. Uh, some their their wingers, um, Santi Rodriguez, Maxi uh, Morales at striker, or not striker, at the number 10. Uh, Thais Magno, the young uh, Brazilian. Um, I think he just turned 20, but he may still be 19. Um, again, it's just a lot, a lot of quality uh, in all over the pitch, but really an attack for them. And it showed it uh, didn't produce goals, but just some silky smooth moves that almost produced goals um, in the first half. But there was nothing really sustained from either team. Like, good movements. But besides, like, it, there was no real dominance in possession from any team no real dominance in possession for any extended period of time. And I don't think that that can be, I, I feel like that can be expected um, when you've you've got, for, especially for the Galaxy, kind of a, a, a new slate due to the fact, not that the players are new, but just because last season was so much of, I, I think, a disappointment not making the playoffs. Um, seeing this kind of, Just a fresher look of the Galaxy was quite fun to see. I felt that NYCFC uh, was probably the better team in the game, um, especially from what I saw. But Chicharito was able to get that goal late. um, Good forced turnover uh, in the attacking third. Uh, NYCFC tried to play out of the back. Uh, Baldu, uh, I forget who it was... uh, Raheem Edwards, I think it was coming off the left wing, slots it to Chicharito. Chicharito buries it. Um, top ends, and yeah, uh, Galaxy take three points. Um, NYCFC, another one of those CCL teams to not score and to lose. And again, Galaxy should be a playoff team. Same thing I said uh, with Columbus. If they don't, if they're not a playoff team, there will be turnover, I think, in their um, their uh, coaching staff and in their front office because. With the players that they have, with Chicharito, with Douglas Costa coming in, who I thought was good, high-profile um, high, uh, high profile signing especially, um, knowing that he came from Juve, from Bayern Munich, you're, you're dealing with a player who the top teams in the world have said, yeah, this guy has quality. Um, and so I thought he was good. Uh, I didn't think he was great, but I thought he was perfectly fine um, in the attack and seemed to fit in well, which I think that's all you can ask uh, for a new player like him. And yeah, uh a Galaxy One NYCFC nil. Um I I will be excited to see if LAF or if Galaxy rather are able to score uh more than one because they basically play with a front four. Like Cabral and Costa, I, I saw some places saying that this might have been a four four two with um Victor Vasquez and Chicharrito High. I think it's more of like a a 4-2-3-1 a la minnesota or portland where you essentially have four attacking players um high with cabral and costa on the wings vasquez kind of playing and like the 10 just under chicharito at the nine um i think they should be able to score more that's a lot of quality in attack a lot of potential in attack especially with cabral Hopefully he's able to improve on what he was able to do last season because he has a ton of talent. Um, and, yeah, that's basically all uh, All I saw from this game was Galaxy can do more, NYCFC very good, just didn't get the goal, which is part of what I'm saying with that different scenario thing where, like, Montreal was fine, but they didn't look great. NYCFC probably should have won the game. Um, we're probably screwed out of a penalty call where um, Julian Araujo, Wrapped his arms around Maxime Chanot's neck. Brought him down in the box off a free kick. Or, yeah, I think it was a free kick. Definitely should have been a penalty. Probably should have been a sending off for Araujo. Nothing from the ref. Nothing from VAR. Um, I don't know what they saw that I didn't see. But NYCFC, I think, fairly unlucky in this game. that They weren't the team that got three points. But yet again... You've got a score, and they didn't, and props to Chicharito. Um, That was a fun uh, post-game interview, especially if you saw that, just giving a ton of credit to the team. He seems like just such a fun guy. Um, But yeah, uh, Galaxy One, NYCFC nil. Definitely not what was was expected, but hey, uh, you take three points, however you can get them from the Galaxy's perspective, and they'll move on to be uh, the away team in Charlotte's home opener next week. So, that should be a ton of fun to see. Um LAFC and the Rapids, which I the Rapids are such an interesting team, man. Like w- with the pieces that they have, they definitely overperformed last year. They don't have the the team or like the squad in totality of a number 1 seed. That being said, they have a squad that should be a playoff team and i think will be a playoff team but boy they did not look good in this game again a ccl team that the only uh ccl team of the mls that lost in the first round lost the comunicaciones from guatemala um one nil to it was uh yeah comunicaciones went up one nil after the first leg uh colorado um Scored uh and won one nil technically won one nil in the second leg, but tied on aggregate and it went to penalties, and Colorado lost some penalties, and so I don't I didn't know where that was going to leave them what the mentality of the team was going to be like, but uh yeah LAFC took them for a walk a little uh, each way in the first fifteen I didn't think the Rapids were terrible at the beginning, but really after uh Vela's goal from the penalty spot um. In uh, the middle of the first half, it was all LAFC, especially after Vela's second goal, uh, scored a hat-trick. So, truly excellent stuff from Vela, and we'll see what he can do for um, them this season, because he was out because of injury last year. Definitely a different team without him, but with him, they are one of the better attacking sides in MLS. And I'm really excited to see what they can do um, with a healthy Vela, Uh, yeah. Colorado basically fell apart after that second Villa goal. Nothing really going forward. Uh, yeah, it was disappointing. Um, but, hey, you, you take what you can get. I, I thought Kellen Acosta was fine um, in his first game for the uh, LAFC, um, playing against his former club in the first game. Uh, he was good. Um, Elias Sanchez, and I'm going to touch on the uh, Sporting KC and Atlanta game in just a second. I'll do that very quickly so we can get to the interviews with Chris Bild and uh, with Nate uh, as it pertains to Austin and Portland. Those two games I'll have for you in just a minute. But Elias Sanchez coming in from Sporting Kansas City as a very good six for Sporting looked very good in this game. I think... um, if I heard it right, I think uh, Steve Torrendolo, manager for a former U.S. left back and manager of LAFC, was extremely complimentary on his performance. I thought he played well. Again, not so much that he had to clean up an attack, but he's just such a good passer of the ball and such a good, uh, just a, such a good piece to plug into a system that really needed midfielders last year. And getting Acosta, getting Sanchez. They should be set up pretty well. And with Vela firing, who even knows? I think LAFC, again, should be a playoff team. I think the Rapids should be a playoff team. But it was really disappointing what I saw from the Rapids. I think they can do much better. But I'm not going to judge them off of this game because I know that they're generally a more defensively sound team. And I think up top is a question mark. I think they should get a striker. Uh, I mentioned Ola Kamara on the trading block earlier. That would not be a bad fit at all. I, thought, I think that they that could work out exceptionally well for them if they would sign Ola, but we'll see. Um, yeah, uh, not good on <laughs> either side of the ball for Colorado, but I, I see it getting better, and for LAFC, yeah, uh, yeah just props to them, and uh, we'll see where they can go, um, especially with Vela, like I said, being back. Uh I think the ceiling for them is not the top of the Western Conference, but I think the ceiling could be a third or a fourth-place spot. And uh, with the crowd, with um, you, with Vela, any given game, he can put two or three uh, past you like he did in this game. And uh, I, I do think that uh, LAFC should be a playoff team this year um, and should be much more fun to watch uh, with those new additions. Um, should be a lot of fun. Uh, And the one game I haven't really touched on before I hit those two interviews, and then we can get out of here, a a marathon pod, I'd say, on our first uh, podcast um, of MLS Benched, I want to hit the game between Miami and Chicago. I thought in this game, it wasn't going to necessarily be a high-quality game, because I don't think either of these teams are going to make the playoffs, no offense to any Miami or Chicago fans. I thought Miami was good early, um, winning the ball uh, in the midfield. Uh, Gregory, um, one of really their two holdovers from their starting 11. That is a whole story. If you want to read up on the fans uh, basically saying, get, get them all out, get every single one out, I think was the chant in Spanish at the end of the last season. That's some crazy stuff. But Miami basically carried over two starters, Gregory, um, in the midfield and Gonzalo Higuain uh, at striker, both played well. I thought both were bright spots on a Miami team that otherwise didn't produce that much um, in terms of attacking talent. Uh, I thought Gregory plugged up holes very well in the midfield. Higuain was getting wider at times, um, sometimes on an island, but he was taking on defenders. He looked years younger than he did last year um, with the ball at his feet. Uh, but yeah, the real real reason I wanted to touch on this game is because Chicago's addition of Zeradon Shakiri could be a game changer. I don't think that that they have enough around him. But again, they did sign Casper Shabilko from the Union for over a million in gam. Uh, was the uh, the value that was traded from uh, that uh, Chicago gave Philly, and with Shabilko, who MLS clubs are clearly willing to rate higher than I did with his time with the Union. I thought he was a good striker, but he looked dangerous in this game. I don't think that he had a ton of chances. Definitely none that I would say, yeah, he should have buried this, but he was fine. And I thought that he caused some problems with Miami's defense. Now, I don't think Miami's defense is the best defense in the league by any means, but if he's able to do that moving forward for them, I think that they can be better than last season for sure. I don't think it's going to end in a playoff spot. But Shakiri, I thought, was fine. Um, Nothing brilliant to write home about. It's only his first game, so I'm not going to judge him too much off of this game only. But Miami was keeping basically too high. I think Higuain sometimes found himself on an island, depending on where he would drift. Um, But Shakiri was definitely playing a 10, sometimes dropping back even deeper in the midfield to start attacks and uh, provide build-up, uh, Chicago was, got more opportunities in the first half. I don't think that they were the more dominant team in possession, but the opportunities that they got were better than Miami, which is interesting. Um, I, I don't think that there were any clear-cut goal opportunities from either team um, in this game. Not a ton. I, I forget, there might have been a chance uh, that... Um, was missed by Chicago in the first half uh, because Miami's keeper, Clement Diop, had a wonderful game. Um, Maybe goalkeeper of the week for me. Um, Some of the saves he made were excellent. But I don't think they came from any, like, breakaways, Uh, you know, um, having, you know, a numerical advantage in the box. Like, nothing really like that uh, for either team. But... I think uh, I made a note that both teams look vulnerable when the ball gets in and around the 18-yard box defensively, and that's going to be why neither are going to make the playoffs, I don't think, because just defensively, it's it's too many gaps. It's just not enough confidence in winning tackles in and around the box. Um, That's going to be the issue. Uh, But DeAndre Yedlin, um, I didn't hear this talked about as much as I thought it should be, Because DeAndre Yedlin started for the United States versus Mexico in Cincinnati in November. like He is the U.S. number two right back behind Sergino Dest, and I thought he played fine. I don't think he played super well for Inter-Miami in his first game. He uh, (laughs) drew a penalty that was chalked off by VAR because of obvious uh, simulation on DeAndre's part. But I don't think he was bad. Um, I didn't expect him to light the league on fire especially in his first game. Um, But attacking-wise, he was better in the second half than he was in the first half. Nothing super big down his side that would be like, oh, defensive liability. But with that transfer, it definitely provides some USMNT interest with a club that didn't really have any before. Um, And yeah, I I think I I made a no-no draw sound a little bit more exciting than it probably was watching it. But I think that's because with the new signings uh, for both teams, Shabilko and mainly Shakiri for Chicago, and then Yedlin for Inter Miami, it, it's going to be interesting um, to see what those two teams are able to do, especially attacking wise this season. Defensively, it's going to be issues, like I said, for both, and that's why I don't think either are going to make the playoffs. But. More surprising things have happened and we shall see. So if you're still listening, good on you. Um, Matter Respect. And I think we're gonna dive into the interviews and we're gonna start with my discussion with Nate about the Timbers game, uh, versus the Revs. I thought this was an excellent game. This was the big national TV game on Saturday, and Nate was at the game. So yeah, let's talk a little Timbers with Nate. Okay, so we're here with Nate to talk about the Timbers. I don't say this for every draw against New England or a good team like that, but this was a draw that certainly felt like a win. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Especially with that late goal and the goal coming the way it did, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I b- between
0: the I mean, and especially with the difference between the first half and the second half, like I thought. That was really the story, right? Like, New England looked really good in the first half. Like, they were exceptional. But then the second half came around and the script flipped, like, completely.
1: I think that's a pretty common storyline with the Timbers. Uh, One of many that they uh, definitely reinforced this game. But we have traditionally been a second-half team.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Like, between... Diron, who I I thought he was very bright in this game. I didn't know what I was going to expect from him because, like, the whole thing is he's good in the playoffs, but he performed well last year in the regular season. He was good this year, too, or uh, in this first game. So I'm like, okay, like, here's a player that you can start to trust more year round, not just when October and November come around. And then Jimmy Char, I thought was excellent. Like, just besides the goal, I thought he was great in possession.
1: Yeah, that's been a little bit of a question uh, going into the season is how is he going to be used, especially with Blanco out? Is he going to try to fill that Blanco central number 10 role? Is he going to, you know, of the touchline and play on the wing? Uh, and I think this game, he is a little all over the place, but mostly staying pretty high up.
0: Yeah, I. Well, you were at the game, right?
1: Yes, sitting in the uh, north
0: end. So, what did you see out of the revs, like particularly Dewan, LeJet, like some of our national team guys who played a lot, like for LeJet his first time, for Josie his first time. Like, what did you see out of them? Like, because in person can be so different than watching them on TV. But I'd say, for at least to put my couple cents into it, I thought they were. Good. I thought uh Legette was good. I thought dewan was excellent. Like what did you see?
1: Yeah, I think Lidget definitely uh showed why um he deserves a spot on New England's roster. Um he did have one uh moment that could have potentially uh gone for a penalty for the Timbers uh, where he tripped Santi Moreno in the box. Uh, But lucky for him, that did not get called.
0: What did you see? Uh, Like, yeah, yeah. do you have anything more on that?
1: Um, it was very difficult to tell, uh, even from that happening right in front of me, um, what happened there. But definitely going back and being able to see the replay there, I think he got lucky.
0: Yeah, I... I think the th- the whole thing with Dewan is like he's still so young, so like he can definitely develop defensively. But I think attacking wise, him and Brandon by, on like as fullbacks, especially like, with crosses that they were just throwing into the box, like that's danger city for a defense.
1: Yeah, um, I thought both the the fullbacks for New England did a pretty good job of you know keeping our wingers occupied uh, both on offense and defense.
0: What's the timetable for Felipe Mora? Because I know there was quite a bit of conversation like is not starting like kind of what to do up top. You guys started Nishgoda, and he was good enough last year too for you guys. But I think Mora like, showed last year in the playoffs he's the guy. Like, He's the number one. So do you know when he's going to come back?
1: The initial reports at the start of the season where that he was going to be out for six weeks, I believe, uh, which is not, not great. Um, and Mias Gota has been good. Uh, you know, we, we signed both of them in 2020. Uh, so we've gotten to see a pretty good sample size of both of them. Um, Mias Gota will just score, you know, I think he's averaging a, a pretty high number of uh, converted shots. Um, so when he has the, the chance to shoot, he, he does pretty well. The criticism of him is that he doesn't necessarily put himself in a lot of uh, positions to, to score.
0: Yeah, I, I think Felipe, like, he's not going to be dominant in the air, but what he's able to give you, just like being a pest, I feel like he's <laughs> one of the best pest strikers in the league. Um, so yeah, that's a big mess. Uh, but I think what what the whole thing with the Timbers was, they were out four or five starters uh, from MLS Cup, which was like what like eleven weeks ago until now. Mabiala was out, Zuprich was out uh Steve Clark shipped to Houston who I thought and I thought he played well with Houston on uh, their first game um I think uh who uh, you had somebody in defensive midfield out too right I, it was Forshiva who started MLS Cup and uh Paredes was back for this game
1: so that was Yes yeah, cool Paredes is uh not a first choice uh starter um He's shown promise at at different points in the past, but he definitely doesn't bring as much going forward as
0: Williamson. Oh yeah, I mean, Will, Williamson's the big one, right? Like not having him, not having him for the MLS Cup run, it, it almost makes you forget about him. But he's a starter on that team when he's healthy, which is Absolutely. which is more. It 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 makes you look forward to especially the second half of the season. Um. What's the whole thing with Blanco? I know that he had a dispute with the team. I know that he wasn't happy, that he wasn't signed sooner. Um, What's going on there? Because I think you would agree, when healthy, he's the Timbers' best player, and it's not even close.
1: Yeah, definitely last year, and even for most of 2020, he was our best player. Um, I think we had a contract ready to go um, after MLS Cup. And the medical staff found some unspecified issue uh that i guess changed the the team's valuation for him for the coming years um, and so he did not end up signing a contract until very close to the the start of the season um, which is a a critique I have um of the teams that we we really did not have all of our ducks in a row uh going into this first game we had three players getting surgery just before the season started Um, blanco had a contract issue Uh, one of our backup fullbacks um didn't have his green card sorted out until just before the season started so there were definitely a few guys missing from preseason or who are going to be out for the first couple months of the the season that are gonna really keep us from hitting the ground running, um, which is kind of par for the course uh from previous years. We Sorry. have not had the, the greatest starts to a season. Um but uh that's why this game was a pleasant surprise for me i I thought everyone uh who got a a chance that might not have ordinarily did fairly well um McGraw um who I couldn't tell you how many minutes he played last season, but it was very few uh and almost exclusively as a kind of garbage time substitute to you know go three at the back, or
0: if uh, Tui Loma got a, a red card. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I'm looking at his stats right now. I'm trying to find minutes from last year, but he, he played in 11 games last year. He's, he started only two, so that's basically, like, like to your point, like, he was a sub for most part last season, and he, he also was a sub in, like, a third of the matches. Like, he was not a uh, consistent player. Um, like, not even consistently getting minutes, which is, for him to come in and play, I thought he played well and certainly impressive. Um, yeah.
1: Especially dealing with one of the better offenses in the league.
0: Yeah, 100%. Like, Boo, Buxa, um, the, you know, the two Bs up top, and with Altador coming off the bench, that's firepower right there, like that's not something that uh, most teams have, you know
1: yeah i I will say I did not see a whole lot of uh, Gustavo Bow or Buxa. Um, yeah, oh, oh yeah the first okay. half was uh, like you said, a little bit more dangerous, but neither of those guys managed to get uh, a lot of shots off or a lot of good shots at least.
0: and and that's what I was going to mention about um, Bo in particular I thought he was quiet Buxa was making a little bit of trouble for the center backs but still not that much especially for guys like Buxa, I think was the leader in expected goals at year's end I think last year or so I mean we're talking about players who are like consistently good in this league Um, so that was disappointing uh, for at least from the New England point of view I not anybody's favorite player in the u.s men's national team uh kind of universe, I'd say, but Legit wasn't terrible, like he scored
1: <laughs> yeah, i I would like to see him score more of those kind of goals for the national team. Uh, don't feel as great when they're uh, coming against my club, but um yeah, I, I thought he did fine.
0: Which is. It's good to see because a lot of the criticism for him is like he's he's like only good in the MLS and he's not even that good in MLS. But for I think he's finally he seems to have settled in well and playing in that it's basically a diamond like a four four two diamond of New England's similar to Philly, my club. Like I feel like he's good in that a position where he doesn't have to be the playmaker and he doesn't have to be the one who's, you know, plugging all the holes in defense. Like, he can kind of be a little more free, experiment a little more, get into good spots on the field. And I feel like that's that's just going to lead to positives for New England. Like, I, I feel like he's a step up from – they had good eights last year. Um, but I, I feel like he, he can provide a little bit more in terms of attack and creativity. And I thought he did pretty well in this game too. Um, anything more I want to touch on? Uh I, I thought for uh New England seeing all the it was just funny seeing like Omar Gonzalez like he's for he plays for New England now. Uh seeing Josie, like this is a twenty seventeen throwback. This is like a this is like a twenty seventeen Gold Cup team and I'm liking it a lot.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. The the Timbers are more stereotypically the uh, the elderly team um, and I think the Charas might have been our our two oldest players on the field I don't know if we had anyone else yeah, over 30
0: yeah. especially Diego like Diego is a uh, he's bionic at this point I don't know how he does it
1: you know I ran into him uh, at dinner after the game and he, he was in a great mood uh, and he had just been, you know, running all over the field. So um, I'm expecting him to continue to have a, a good season, even at 35, 36.
0: I think 35, maybe 36. Let me see. Yeah, 35. Uh, yeah, two more things, and then we can kind of hop off. I, your boy Bill Loma started and was not terrible, I didn't think, next to McGraw at center back.
1: You know, I've always had a soft spot for him. Um, hopefully this year he'll, he'll have a chance to step up with both of our starting center backs out for at least a few more games. Um, I will say in preseason he did get another red card. Um, last season he, he got the, the two yellows in the, the first half, I believe it was. Uh, so it didn't even make it through. 45 minutes of whichever game that was. Um, and he's not universally beloved by the, the Timbers fan base, um, but I would, I would like to see uh, him play as well as he did on Saturday.
0: Yeah, I, I thought it wasn't like he's re- being a game wrecker, but filling in for two solid center backs, I thought him and McGrath did fine. Uh, lastly, uh, Santi Moreno for you, he is a problem like he he's something
1: special. You know, he's very similar to to Aspria um, in that they both really just love to go at guys with the ball and try to beat guys on the dribble. I think Aspria has kind of matured uh, over the last season um maybe didn't try as many of those dribbles this game but Moreno I think compensated for that and it was just saucing as much as possible uh trying to beat guys with his speed and with his dribbling so I like to have a guy like that on the team
0: uh for sure uh for sure and um a lot of Colombians for Portland I think what four or five (laughs) like like this team Four is... in the, the starting lineup, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Diron, the Char brothers, Moreno. I don't know. It's a lot of talent. And quickly, where do you think the Timbers ceiling is this season? And then where do you think the floor is in terms of like final um standings wise?
1: I think our floor is a playoff team. Um there there have been years where we cut it pretty close in the past. Um, but given our tendency to, you know, finish our seasons pretty strong, I, I think we'll make it into the playoffs. Um, where we go from there, I would like to say we, we have a chance to make it to the conference finals again. Um, but that really depends on who stays healthy. Um, and how many of our uh new signings can play out well um we i think had three or four um players on the bench for this game uh who have never played a minute for the timbers before um and with a long season we're gonna need some of those guys who uh we signed this year to to impress. And we haven't always had that kind
0: of depth. So, uh, no, I think that's a fair. Assessment. Yeah. Those are, that's me hedging my bets. Yeah. I'm saying I think we, we can make a run in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, I, but. I, I wouldn't put anything past, uh, the Timbers, especially based off what we've seen the last couple of seasons. So Nate, thanks for coming on, talking Timbers with us. Hopefully we'll hear a bit more from you as, uh, we, as this podcast rolls along and, uh, yeah. Uh, Final score in that game was 2-2 Timbers versus the New England Revolution. I think, for sure, the most exciting uh, draw of the weekend, a weekend of many draws. But, yeah, um, a good game for the Timbers, and we'll see what they can do for the rest of the season. So, thanks, Nate. And uh, with that, I'll throw it to the next interview with uh, Chris Bild uh, to discuss uh, Austin FC. So, hey, guys. Um... I thought after seeing Austin FC come out in the first game and absolutely stomp Cincinnati, I figured I had to talk to someone with a little bit more knowledge of Austin FC than I have. So I'd like to welcome in Chris Bills to the MLS Bench podcast. Uh, Chris is a writer for The Striker Texas, a website devoted to covering soccer in the state of Texas. Uh, Chris has been on the Austin beat for a while. And so it's a delight for me to say that he is the first guest of hopefully many on this podcast. Uh, so welcome, Chris. How's it going?
2: Oh, man, what an honor. Thanks, Joey. Uh, thanks for having me uh, as the first guest on this thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I am super excited. Um, and I think i like to start by addressing the obvious. Uh, last year, Austin FC was not a good team. And in fact, in the first game of the season, they just broke their goals scored in a single game in franchise history. So where did this come from, basically? Um and especially like with the goals inside the first 10 minutes you don't often see that in a in the first game of the season normally it's cagey and stuff so where did this explosion come from
2: yeah I mean it's uh yeah first of all you you're, you're dead on Austin was not a good team last year uh, they finished 12th in the in the western Conference out of 13 teams and um, you know but they did they did make quite a bit of quite a few moves in the offseason to kind kind of shore up some of those areas get some more depth and uh, it all showed on Saturday. Now it is worth acknowledging that they played FC Cincinnati, which is uh, probably the best team you could face uh, when you're looking to to kind of prove that you you've you've gotten better uh, and get some confidence going on in the first week of the season. So, uh, and yeah, I mean Austin has had a, a history of starting strong at home, um, at least you know toward the end of last season and the beginning of this season. This actually the third match. Um, Third match in a row that they've scored in the opening uh, 15 minutes uh, so at home so um, and this one just happened to be the second minute uh, with Cecilia Dominguez uh, scoring off that uh, beautiful cross from Jean Kolbenich. Um so uh, and, and it just kind of kicked off and opened the floodgates and, and I think whole team was playing with a lot of confidence I, I was looking at some of the underlying numbers uh, from this one though and it is kind of interesting that uh, expected goals were not nearly the five that Austin FC put on, put on the board. And, and Cincinnati did have some chances that could have caused some chaos in this one, but uh, you know, Austin credit, credit where credit's due. Austin took advantage of the opportunities that they had and um, you know, get a five, nil win to start the year and, and we'll see where it goes from here.
0: Yeah. I honestly was going to bring up the underlying numbers because I've talked to guys like John Moeller. And one of the big things that they say is that single game XG, um, without any context is not helpful at all. It really doesn't tell any kind of story, but I am interested in kind of what positives did you see in the run of play that because often a uh, five XG can come from a goalkeeper mistake, like the fifth goal was an unbelievable goalkeeper mistake, but often that um, th- that XG can come from specific run of play situations. So besides... The final product what did you like from austin fc um like other positives that you took away from this game
2: yeah i mean so you know if you if you haven't watched austin um the big changes that they made this year was um you know alex is now a dp but he's also playing further up the pitch so he's playing more as a box-to-box midfielder where in new york city fc and even most of the year last year for for austin fc he was playing as the sixth um and you know they saw toward the middle of last year he was trying to kind of help in the attack a little bit and developed a really good partnership with Sebastian Gerusi, the uh DP number 10 from, from Argentina. Um, and those two, um, you know, th- those two work so well together, and I thought it was really interesting in this match. But Danny Pereira, the second year, um, second year player out of Virginia Tech, uh, number one draft pick last year, starting at the six. Um, he did have some help from those guys dropping back and helping, especially in build-up. But, um, you know, that partnership between Alex Ring and Sebastian Drussi really showed, especially on that third goal with Diego Fugudes running in from the right. Um, and just in the, the amount of bodies in the box and, and you know, it looked like a futsal goal, right, with two back heels in a row from Drussi and, and Ring and then uh, back to Drussi to, to put it in. And, and that just kind of, I think, symbolized what a year of... of of um, these guys playing together a year of chemistry um, and playing together in Josh Wolf's system. There was a lot of thinking that was happening last year, I think. And, you know, a lot of guys, in, you know, in front of goal or in the attacking third that, that weren't quite sure what they, where they were supposed to be, what they were supposed to, supposed to be doing with the ball. And now it's just, it kind of flows, right? And so that's what I was really impressed with from this one is the way they were able to finish off attacking moves. Uh, and yes, with some luck, uh, you know, and off of some sub pieces. Uh, but you need that in a season, right? And that's things that they weren't able to do last year. I, I don't think that they would have been able to beat anybody 5 nothing last year. And I, I think it's a testament to the growth of this team in year two under Josh Wolf that, uh, you know, that they were able to come right out of the gates and get this result. And I think it'll be it, – they'll be able to build on this, uh, you know, as far as confidence goes. Um, and we'll see certainly this weekend uh, against Miami and and the the week after that, when they go to Portland will be the real test of of where this team's actually grown.
0: Yeah. You mentioned the underlying numbers and I like to go back to that for a second because looking at the underlying numbers from this is via American soccer analysis, which is a great website. Um, If any of you guys haven't uh, checked it out, if you want soccer analytics for MLS and uh, US domestic uh, soccer, it's, The best website in uh, my opinion but they had um cincinnati's uh xg as 2.18 and their g plus which is like a possession value like kind of how how did you flow you know generally how was the game being played in the run of play um it's basically even and that kind of bore out you know after watching the game cincinnati had chances i think it could have been easily 2-2 after half an hour
2: I know that's what we, I. That's exactly what I said. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was it was truly unbelievable, and it definitely was a game of moments. So, and FC Cincinnati didn't take theirs. Austin definitely took theirs. Um. So, what do you think that Austin has to clean up moving forward? Because they did l- give up chances to the uh, 2021 Wooden Spoon winners. So, you yeah, know,
2: totally. Yeah. Totally. What do they have to I get better at? Part of that's game states, though, right? When you score in the second minute, I think uh, that's like you said, like taking the context out. Uh, kind of misses the point a little bit because Austin was dominant in this match for large stretches. Um, there was that stretch in the first half, though, when uh, they got a little stretched and Cincinnati did some good things to get um, Nicholas Markinich and, and um, Brandon Vasquez in behind and, and those guys just just missed the target. Uh, I think a better better striker, I mean, you got Gonzalo Iglesias coming in uh, this weekend, you know, I think a better striker finishes off some of those chances. Uh, the other thing is, though, that Austin had uh, the center back pairing that they had in um, was Kip Keller, who's a rookie out of St. Louis. Looked, I thought, really good in this match, but he did get stretched a couple times. He got pulled out of position a couple times, and and uh, Hulu the other center back who who was a starter most of the year last year, he he also got caught up the pitch, uh, you know, a couple times, especially on I think that one that. Markinich got in behind, and, uh, you know, John Colvinich did a nice job kind of closing and getting back, but, um, you know, the, the plan, I think, is for Ruben Gabrielsen, uh, the, the center back that they signed from Norway, to get most of the starts going forward. Uh, once he's fully up to speed, he just got in town, uh, you know, less than two weeks ago, so he's still kind of getting his legs underneath him and, and getting used to the system, and you know, if he pairs with Kip Keller, I, I I think that some of that stuff will clean up organo, organically. But it's also the transition moments, and and those were things that Austin was really focused coming into this year, and and that's going to be a lot of uh, what Johanna Valencia is coming in to, to clean up. He didn't start this one either. Um, he's coming from he's from coming from Colombia, and uh, you know he's he got here about halfway through preseason as well. Danny Pereira played a nice game, but he's not quite the destroyer that that Johanna Valencia is. So. Um, that should give Alex Ring and, and Sebastian jersey even more freedom further up the pitch and, and hopefully cover those center backs a little bit better. But uh, that, you know, that's what they do need to clean up. They can't be, you know, letting forwards have the ball, you know, eight yards, eight yards from goal. And, and and luckily, you know, Brad Stuber didn't even have to make saves. On, I don't think, I think there were three chances in the first half that, that went wide. So uh, yeah, better teams finish those chances. And like you said, this one could have been pretty chaotic 30 minutes in and it turned out to be 3
0: 0 at halftime. Yeah, you touched on Kip Keller, and I was going to ask you that even if you hadn't mentioned him. Obviously, rookie, fifth overall pick in the draft. A lot of people thought he could have gone higher. I know some people thought that he was maybe worthy of at least a number one uh, overall pick, uh, looking at him, at least. Um, I know that that wasn't where Charlotte wanted to go with it, but a lot of people thought that his talent was worthy of number one, number two overall. So, what did Austin see in preseason that, and in training camp that uh, persuaded them to start him in this game? Because I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but there couldn't have been too many rookies out of the Super Draft starting in the first game of the season. So what did Austin see in them that they really liked?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. And uh, the cool thing is that Austin uh, also started its number one draft pick last year. Danny Pereira uh, on an expansion team, of course, uh, which maybe makes that more expected. But both of those guys started uh, year two. So it just shows you that, that Austin's finding some gems in the super draft. And with Kip Keller, he, he looked really, really good during preseason. The first time, you know, I got out there to, uh, to see him, you know, he started against Louisville. Then he started uh, in the second uh, preseason match against Toronto as well. And uh, you, can, you can see right away, physically, he's, he's already ahead of um, – you know, certainly Julio Cascante, as far as physical build and, and the measurables on him, uh, I guess he, you know, was the highest jumper. You know, he, he was measuring off the charts um, as maybe the most athletic guy in the Austin FC camp coming into to preseason. So uh, really impressive, though, for, for him to take that momentum that he had built during preseason and take it all the way to, to a start. I think that, you know, especially with Ruben Gabrielson getting, you know, being kind of brought in as the marquee signing of the offseason season, and uh, in a position of need, uh, it's certainly possible. I think moving forward that Ruben Gabrielson pairs with Kip Keller, and and that's you know a center back pairing that that really Austin could build around at a position that they were weakest uh, at the end of last year.
0: Yeah, and I I think that with Keller's performance, it offers you yeah. a a lot of hope for the future. And B, I mean in terms of the present and a really good option that you know that he can still develop, right? He's still young and he can potentially turn into something further down the line that either you keep him and he's one of the best center backs in the league, or you can sell him for a good amount of cash. Do you see Austin becoming a selling team in the near future? Or do you think that this is a team that really wants to build around those young pieces right now? Plus the, big dps um like what what direction do you see the team going in
2: yeah no it's, a, it's an interesting question because i do think that you know they they're one of a few teams in the league that went right out on this u22 uh train right they went out and got john Kolmanich. they've got uh runny redis who, who hasn't quite popped he, you know he wasn't dressed for or he was on the bench for this one uh but i don't think he played and uh and then Gita, of course who came in and, and uh, as you alluded to <laughs> he had the the play on that led to the own goal um but you know austin i think is looking to to go to europe and, and and sell some of those guys eventually a guy like kip Keller, you're right huge value within the league to have a center back like that he reminds me a lot of tim Parker. in fact physically i think you know watching those two on the same pitch uh in the preseason when they played in houston it was almost like uh you know, doppelgangers a little bit, just the way that they move on the pitch. And, and that's high praise for, for Kip Keller, who's, like you said, is he's just a rookie. Um, and, you know, certainly if if, if uh, Johan Romagna develops and is able to to kind of take, take back over that starting spot, um, you know, maybe they are sitting on, sitting on the center back. But right now, I think you just, you see what this young kid's got. Um, and, you know, you see what he can provide you um, in 2022. Um, and and he's not a finished product by any means. He got he got pulled out of positions a couple of times uh, in this this one. Uh, picked up a yellow card, and I think he will have quite a few yellow cards. But you love to see that aggression from a rookie in his first first ever MLS game. I, I thought that was actually really impressive for him. Uh, he he was you know getting into a few few little scuffles with uh, Brandon Vasquez and and some really some fun fun moments that you don't always see didn't always see from Austin in twenty twenty one.
0: Yeah, I like that aggression, especially from a center back. You Getting pulled out of position isn't necessarily the, the worst thing and definitely a good learning experience for a young center back who's going to need these experiences. Um, just quickly, uh, Kip Keller got pulled, did not finish the game. Musa Jite started on the bench. Can you just give me some quick context around why they pulled the center back and why a great player like Jite didn't start?
2: Yeah, I mean uh, Musajite came came in um, having to prove himself, and Naxi Maxi Ruti was brought in during the offseason to you know as an MLS goal scorer, and and certainly provides um, you know a lot of verticality, and and showed this one you know he was running for all ninety minutes, which you know Musajite struggled with uh, last year of putting together ninety minute performances, and you know also Musa I, I guess had some some family issues come up toward the end of preseason, actually missed the the last preseason match. Um, that they that they had against Chicago, um, so that's part of the reason that he didn't start in this one. Um, thought he showed well though in the in the short time that he was on the pitch. And then um, what was oh Kip Killer coming out? I mean, yeah, like he's like I said, he had a yellow card, and, and they wanted to get Ruben Gabrielson in to to get some experience because um, you know he is he is expected to be the starter. He's the the, the he's the player that they've spent the most on uh, as far as the defender goes. Um, and they do expect him to to be a long-term starter. So get uh, get, get Kip Keller some rest, have everybody Gabriel come in and close out the clean sheet. I thought it was, uh, you know, and I think they used all five of their subs. So uh, every single player that they brought in in the offseason, uh, save for the goalkeeper, uh, Damian Loss, all seven field players that they brought in during the offseason played in this one, which I thought was a testament to the moves they made.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, so now we've got this 5-0 result. We've got the highest uh, number of goals scored in a game in franchise history, albeit the short franchise history. Um, and again, albeit versus the Wooden Spoon winners in 2021. Um, I don't think that this performance would have been repeatable. There was just too much between the con own goal, between some of the mm-hmm. bad marking in the box. This is not going to happen against a better team. But do you think... They're going to be able to carry over the positives that we saw um, into Inter Miami next week, and then into the rest of the season. Like, do you see like true improvement in the team from last year?
2: Yeah, the areas that uh, that I you know that you can kind of see that this team is getting better during the preseason is one depth. Uh, you know, we didn't have a single game last year where uh, there wasn't somebody on the injured on the injured list uh, starting during preseason, and uh, everybody was healthy coming into this one. Geschwold had to, to leave out several players that were, you know, nailed on starters uh, last year, and, and they didn't even dress in this one. So um, I thought that was a that was a good sign for this club. And um, you know, Sebastian Drucci, uh, to me, to me honestly, looks like a best MLS best eleven caliber uh, player. I, I think he's gonna he's gonna really shine in the system. And then it comes down to whether they can get some goal scoring out of the forwards. Maxi Rutti played in this one. Like I said, had a good performance, but didn't really do much in front of net. Um, they're going to need somebody in the box that's that's uh, you know poaching some goals if they're going to really reach the heights that they need to to get in the playoffs. But uh, it is encouraging, right? I don't think you can help but be encouraged by what we what we saw from Austin FC on Saturday. And now, can they can they do it again against Miami? Get six points out of the gate and and take it to Portland and and uh, you know get this thing get this in rolling and see what they've got. But uh, the Western Conference is going to be a buzzsaw this year. Uh, right now, the, the four teams, I don't know if you noticed this, but the four teams that uh, that won in the Western Conference, none of them were in the playoffs in the top seven in the Western Conference last year. Nashville comes over from the east. Uh, they get that big one over, over Seattle. And then uh, the two LA, L.A. teams got three points as well. And so every single playoff team from last year in the West is fighting – uh, you know, from the bottom. And I know it's just one week, but uh, it's going to take, take some time to figure out what the pecking order is in the Western Conference this year. I'm excited about it.
0: Yeah, uh, so am I for sure, especially with Nashville coming over. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, two quick hitters, and I'll get you out of here. Uh, number one, what is the ceiling for this team in terms of standings, in terms of points, how good can they get?
2: It's a good question. I mean, right now, I think the goal is the playoffs, uh, and I think I've heard, you know, from maybe from Danny Pereira and and some other folks inside the locker room that they they want to set the higher standard higher than that. They want a home playoff game. That you know they really enjoy playing at Q two, and they thought they set the standard maybe a little bit too low last year, just trying to sneak in the playoffs. So, um, you know, before Saturday, would I have said that was realistic? No, I have them pick tenth in the tenth in the West, and it's going to take some time to to prove that uh, what we saw on Saturday, especially against a a lowly FC Cincinnati team isn't, you know, is what we should expect. But certainly the ceiling's much higher than it was and the floor is much, much higher than it was uh, in 2021. And that's the important thing.
0: And that was going to be my next question. Like we know what the floor is because we can essentially say that last year's result was the floor. What result this year would you see maybe not being the floor but how low can they go without Josh Wolf losing his job
2: great question I mean I think for Josh wolf the standard has to be that they're in the playoff race um, you know at the end of the season whether that means that they drop a couple results near the end and, and fall to ninth or tenth uh, you know it just depends on how strong the Western Conference actually is and, and how some of those results go whether you can pin them on him or not but you know, if they're in eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, I think he's going to be in trouble because I think this this group is is good enough. Um, the uh, but the big thing is like what you said, uh, what we were just talking about the fact that they have so much more depth. Uh, they can lean on on uh, bigger rotation of guys. I think is going to mean that they're able to get more you know more results on the road, more with midweek results, and uh, you know close out more matches at home. With some subs. Um, and those are the things that you need to do make, to make the playoffs. So the ingredients are there. It's just a matter of taking it for 34 34 weeks and we'll see what we'll see what it looks like in October, huh?
0: Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I'm gonna open up the floor. You can plug uh where people can find you because I think your coverage is excellent.
2: Yeah, thank you, man. Uh my you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Bills and of course uh check out my work on the StrikerTexas.com, uh where you know, it's kind of a, it's a cool project we got going. We got John Arnold in Dallas and Victor Arisa in Houston, and we want to keep growing this thing. Uh, We're covering USL, we're covering uh, soccer across the state. Theo Lloyd-Hughes does a great job with the use of Dash, and, um, you know, if you want to throw us a subscription or at least a 30-day free trial to see what we're all about, uh, it would, it would really mean a lot. So, um, yeah, thanks for giving me the chance to, to get on here and, and spread the good word.
0: Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, definitely appreciated uh, for giving us further context on uh, what was a very exciting game, um, especially in terms of goals uh, for Austin FC as they take down FC Cincinnati by a score of uh, five goals to nil. And lastly, I know that this has been a marathon podcast, so apologies in advance for that. Um, most of the time it's not going to be like this, but we had two pretty long conversations Um So most of the time that's not going to be the case. But uh, for any Atlanta fans, for any Sporting KC fans, I did not forget about your game. I wanted to bring that up last because I feel like that can kind of cap off this podcast nicely and kind of set us off into what I hope can be a successful journey on this podcast. For me, this game, and this was the only game of the weekend that I did not watch. I saw the highlights. It was – it seemed pretty – Open to both teams to be able to take it. Uh, Sporting KC seem to have some good chances. Um, Kyrie Shelton up top. Uh, filling in for Alan Polito. That's really the big loss for Sporting KC. They lost Elias Sanchez to LASC, as I mentioned uh, previously in the podcast. And they lost uh, Alan Polito to season-ending injury which uh, in the preseason, which is just an absolute killer because he's such a good striker for them. Um, so, yeah, uh, it looked like... Uh, they had some chances, but Atlanta, fair play to them, very clinical. Luis, Ar- Luis arujo sorry, uh, kind of butchered that name at the beginning, um, scored. Uh, and for him, one of the most expensive signings in Atlanta's history and uh, one of the most expensive transfers, I believe, in MLS history, um, incoming transfers, uh, didn't produce much last year. Uh, so great to see him finally get back on the score sheet. Um, Marcelino Moreno had a beautiful ball to Caleb Wiley, and that's really kind of what I want to hit on. Matt Doyle had a great take, um, about Caleb Wiley, the 17-year-old scoring. You've probably seen the video at this point, uh, the split screen of him scoring and his family just losing it in the stands. It's such a, hor- a heartwarming video, and it's kind of how I want to end this very long, uh, inaugural episode by saying... And kind of piggybacking off what Doyle was saying, the MLS continues to produce young talents. This was his first ever start. He's 17 years old. He's from the Atlanta area. This was his boyhood club. You know, this club's been around for about five years at this point. He would have been 12 when this club first was founded. So a large part of his soccer development would have been with this club looming large in, in the city that. around in the city that he grew up around this stuff we shouldn't take for granted and i think doyle made an excellent point this is the stuff that we should enjoy and this is the stuff that we have been able to come to expect from this league but it should still be so exciting whenever this happens because this is truly what mls has become and this is why i love the league so much and why i am so excited to uh, talk about this um publicly This league is going to provide so many opportunities for young kids in America, maybe who aren't going to produce on the national team level, but who are going to be key players for their hometown team, growing up in their hometown, playing for the academy, then getting a chance on the senior team level and shining like Caleb, Caleb Wiley did on Sunday. It's it's a heartwarming story, but there are so many of these, and that's what makes the league so special that. A guy can grow up in his hometown, have this club, and a couple years later, he's scoring in front of sixty some thousand people. That's kind of why this league for me is special, and the fact that we are able to do this in the United States—that this isn't able to be—that this, this isn't only done in Europe or in South America or in Africa or in any other place that there is quality soccer. But the fact that North America and the United States has MLS, we're we're producing the young talent of the future, and all these stories are so heartwarming and out there, and it it just makes it feel like we're starting to build a soccer community in the U.S. that I want to be a part of and that hopefully all of us want to be a part of. So a little heartwarming note uh, to finish off the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. It truly means the world if you're still listening at this point. Um, I hope you come back next week, next Tuesday, when we're going to break down week two. And, yeah, um, truly thanks to Nate. Thanks to Chris Bills um, of the Striker Texas. Check him out and follow him in all the places that he said to follow him, uh, at Chris Bills on Twitter. And, yeah, uh, in the meantime, between now and next Tuesday, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game, and I'll see you then.